You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Coaches, and welcome to another episode of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. You are listening to episode 56, and I am Chrissy Beltran, your host. Today, I'm talking to Lanisha Tab of Apron Education, and I'm really thankful that she agreed to join me on this episode because I think she's got a really beautiful perspective to offer us, and she's going to help us really think about some important ideas. We're going to talk about evaluating the resources that we use with students with a cultural and anti-racist lens, and we're going to think about the impact these resources have and what we can do whenever we can, you know, how we can identify if a resource is good for kids or not good for kids, and what we do, what we do with that information. So once we figure out what a resource is maybe not ideal, what do we need to do, and how can we actually support our teachers in thinking beyond the quote laminated lesson plans? So Lanisha is going to help us think through all of these ideas today. It's going to be a really important episode because we do support teachers in curriculum design and in material selection. And sometimes we see people pulling out the same stuff year after year, and those resources are harmful or not helpful. And we need to be able to see why and figure out what we're going to do next. So I'm really thankful today to welcome Lanisha to the podcast. All right. So welcome, Lanisha, to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, I'm just really excited to have this conversation because I think it's going to be really eye-opening and give people some tools and some things to think about that that are really going to be helpful to instructional coaches. Awesome. I hope so. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself to my listeners and just share a little bit about who you are and how you ended up here and what kind of work you focus on now? Yeah, sure. So my name is Lanisha Tab. Um, I've been an educator for 15 years. Most of them have been in either kindergarten, first or second grade. I did have one year um, as an instructional coach. Um, yeah, this is a long time ago. So that was fun. So I'm not completely unfamiliar with the world. Yeah. Um, and re- more recently, I've been just um, putting out work content resources around um, social studies, specifically mm-hmm. um, a lot of writing uh, resources and things like that. And just really under the premise that I just really believe little kids can do big things. And I think a lot of times primary students are um, discounted or, you know, like just a lot of people are just like, oh, that's too hard for them. It's too complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always sort of bothered me. So I'm always looking for ways to bring, um, big content down to little minds. That is such important work. And you're so right. You do hear that a lot. Um, a lot of that, I feel like is, is teacher fear mm-hmm. about if I, if I push them too far and we fail, then what does that mean? You yeah. know? So, so I think that that's really important that you're sharing that work. And I really love everything that you've been sharing about, I followed you on Instagram forever. (laughs) And, um, you know, especially over the last few years, I feel like you've been talking so much about these messages that we send through our language and what resources we choose to use with our kids and our actions. And then you've also spoken out a lot about teaching history accurately, like really revisiting what we use and what we think whenever we're teaching, think about when we're teaching history to kids. So I would love to hear you talk about that work a little bit and just sort of share your thoughts on, on, you know, why you're doing that work and what it looks like um, with this audience. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
you know, accurate history is um, something I think a lot of educators are just scared of for a few reasons. One, they don't know. Um, so many of us received the exact same narratives growing up. Um, you know, I always joke that you can pretty much walk up to anyone on the street and say, hey, in 1492 and like nine <laughs> times out of 10, it will respond, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And it's like, well, yeah, because Columbus discovered America, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they've got these sound bites. And so I think for some people, they just don't know any better. So it's easier to just stick to that narrative. And then um, some people truly believe it and are not interested in figuring out the truth. And so those narratives have become truths for them. So for somebody to come along and say, or to challenge what they felt, you know, was true or what their textbook might've said, um, even if that wasn't true, is very difficult for a lot of people. And it can be very upsetting. You pair that with current events and, you know, statues coming down or monuments, you know, coming down and school names being changed and things like that. And then you get people who are very confused about why things like that might be happening. Um, mm -hmm. And so I look at that uh, and I feel a lot of responsibility as an educator um, to do my part to get ahead of that, even in kindergarten, in first grade, because that's where they're learning this 1492 stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it is a big deal because th that's where the seeds get planted. And then those narratives are affirmed over the next 11 years of schooling when we we are studying the same people over and over and over. Not only that, but we are studying them as heroes only. Um, and it's, you know, we never hold our heroes accountable and or, or talk about the ugly truths that also come along with their victorious stories. Uh, all of that is washed away. And therefore it's very difficult for people to think that there could be another side that they are missing. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is the side that's missing for so many things in history um, is directly connected to a lot of the issues that people are having today. Mm -hmm. So I feel a very strong sense of responsibility to disrupt that from the earliest grades um, in school. Yeah, I and I think you're doing a beautiful job of it because you are, it's kind of that same idea of simplifying things that are really complicated, but making them accessible to young learners. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like one of the hurdles is also that people are like, well, the kids won't get it, that's too complex. Let's just teach them this, this jingle. <laughs> and so <laughs> instead of asking kids to really challenge and question and determine bias and, and, and understand why are we doing these or why do we say what we're saying and right. where is this coming from? People are like, you know what, it's, that's just really complicated. That's even hard work for me to do. So how am I going to teach kids to do it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen as a coach that teachers pull out these laminated lesson plans like year after year. And that's a quotation. I mean, they're not literally laminated, but they right. might well be. <laughs> and so they're, they're plans that they've used for years and, you know, even decades. They're like their, their pet lessons. Yeah. Uh, they love to do and they really struggle. They struggle to move away from these lessons. So why have you, have you seen that happen? And why do you think we're hold, like clinging to these resources? And, you know, why is it so difficult for us to evaluate them and look at what we're doing with a new lens? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like, well, definitely I have seen that. And if I'm being honest, I was that. Right. I had a cabinet, you know, before I knew better, I was teaching 1492. I, mm -hmm had kids sit down um, years, one of my first years of teaching, and I taught them the pilgrims and Indians narrative for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know. Um, and I feel like the difference between me and a lot of, you know, a lot of people that 
don't receive that as well is just the willingness to accept the fact that you might have some things wrong. <laughs> um, and then there's also a willingness to do some work to correct the misconception that you have. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those are two things you have to have as an educator. If you're going to um, responsibly teach history, you really do need to evaluate the lesson plans. And it, cha- I mean, just even year after year, even as I grow, things that I thought were okay last year even this year, I'll give you a quick example. I was um, searching for a book to assign asynchronously to my virtual kindergarten students for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I was previewing the book and I was reading the text and I had read the book before and I was like, oh yeah, that's great. I'll just assign that. And something in me just made me like skim through it. And one of the pages Um, showed Martin as a little boy and he was distraught, like he had a look on his face in the illustration. And then there was a white mom and a white son and she was pushing the son away from him. Mm -hmm. Um, And the words said something like, Martin Luther King Jr. couldn't even go to school with the white kids. And that struck me right there as, I, I think I read that book last year, but this year it's a problem for me because that makes it sound like something was wrong with him or it makes it sound Mm -hmm. like the white school was the shining like beacon of hope that everybody else needed to aspire to when it should have said something like the white people at that time created laws that separated Martin from going to school with them. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like there's a very different vibe or very different message that's being sent when you say something like, and Martin couldn't even go to school with the white kids. And it's like, well, what's wrong with Martin that he couldn't go there? nothing was wrong with Martin. It was something wrong with the racist people that had those policies in place. And so, you know, just even looking at things like that from year to year, how could you continue to, to teach a laminated lesson plan when everything needs to be evaluated? I, same thing with the uh, Thanksgiving book. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a book about Squanto. And it was like, you know, this is Squanto. He was a friendly Indian. Well, what's implied in that statement that I just read? That means the rest of them were or not like because you went out of your way to say that Squanto was friendly. And so it's little things like that, that you have to constantly um, evaluate and notice and then push up against. And so, and then I think a lot of teachers are like, well, that takes a look. So if I throw all my stuff away, what am I going to teach? Well, what if you kept the Squanto book, you read the Squanto book just as it is, but then you asked your students, what do you think about that? Like, you know, when, when they said Squanto was friendly, what is that? What do you think about the other Indians then? They're not, kids are not dumb. They'll be like, oh, the rest of them must've been mean. And then you can lead that, use that as a lead into a conversation about how historical uh, narratives and books and, 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 you know, things that are written by people that weren't there um, need to be evaluated with a critical eye. So sorry, that was a mouthful. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That was great. Cause you addressed so many different reasons that we're struggling to do this work, right? Which is the truth. The truth is, this is a complex question. There are lots of reasons that people are not trying out new things and evaluating resources and everybody's in a different place on this, this curve, right? Where we're learning and evaluating our own thinking. We have to figure out what's going on in our brains before we can figure out what we want to share with kids. And that's a lot of work. Like you said, it takes, and I appreciate that because yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I, I've in the past, if I look back at some of the lessons that I've done, I definitely need to do over. Right. <laughs> but um, 
you know, all we can do is now we know better. Now we need to do better. You know, I mean, that's a paraphrase, obviously, of Maya Angelou. But um, the idea is that we don't have all the answers at any moment in time, but we should be trying to figure them out and yes. get better over time. So, so it's, it's okay to be, to not know, but we need to try. <laughs> you know? yes. So why is it so important? Like what is, what is the outcome of not doing this reflective work? And why is it so important that we do this reflective work? I mean, I think you can see the outcome illustrated in, in the news daily. Um, you know, for me personally, when I watch the news and I see um, people that have truly confused patriotism, being proud of their country, proud of their history, proud of their religion, whatever, proud of their culture, but they have truly confused that with nationalism. Um, to me, that's the result. Or I remember a few years ago in Charlottesville when, you know, that huge rally happened and I'm, I'm looking at the, 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 the people in the pictures and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, those kids are in college and like, I've been teaching for 15 years. So there's no way that they couldn't have been, you know, in, in our, in our classroom, like me and my colleagues, we've been teaching for a while and they're just now in college. So how long ago was it before they were in my room? I don't know. And so when I look at them, I see the results of not teaching those accurate you know, the, the, people need a chance to wade through the things that have been brought to, you know, or presented to them in the classroom year after year after year. They need to evaluate that. But then not only that, they need an opportunity to see like what people have contributed that don't look like them. Um, and when they never have that opportunity and they have been built up by dominant culture and then pair dominant culture with dominant, dominant historical narratives, this is why you have people that, you know, are so quote unquote proud of their heritage and, 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 but really you're teetering into nationalism because what you're saying is I, what, who I am and where I'm from is better than everyone else. And there's nothing else to be considered or thought. So no, you can't tear down my monuments. No, you can't change the name of the school. It doesn't matter who they were, what they did. This is America. and This is what it's, always been and this is what it's going to be you know so to me that's the consequence because people like that were never challenged they were never given the opportunity to learn about somebody else that didn't look like them even though uh tons and tons and tons of contributions have been made so yes yeah what you said about um the kids in our classrooms that really struck me because whenever i live in el paso texas mm -hmm. and so whenever the that young man drove across, you know, a year ago, a little over a year ago, drove mm -hmm. across the state of Texas um, to, you know, shoot. He said to kill people. He wanted to kill Mexicans is what his goal was mm -hmm. at the, the Walmart. That's just right down the street from my house. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was the first thing I thought was, this is a very young man. Yeah. And he's been in school at the same time as the kids that I have been working with. And I don't, I don't know anything about his schooling. I don't know anything about his experiences at school, but I really wondered, did anybody question these? You know, did they know he was thinking this way? Was he instructed differently? Was he given opportunities to change his thinking? What, where did this come from? Because how is this happening now? You know, um, that he's still forming these beliefs. And I, I can't, that was exactly the thought that I had. And what, mm -hmm. I mean, it was obviously shocking and horrific, but that specific thing I think has bothered me since then, because are we doing something different so that people learn something different and don't carry these harmful ideas into the rest of their lives? Right. We have an opportunity at school. 
you know, that we, we lose it after, after they leave us. <laughs> we really do. For sure. So what lens should we be looking through as we're evaluating resources for our lessons? You know, what are some of the criteria or the things that we need to be aware of as we're looking at our resources? Um, well, a lot of the work that I do is with um, my partner, Naomi O'Brien. And mm -hmm. yes. whenever a lot of our content comes from looking at something that we already have and mm -hmm. sort of noticing how problematic it is and then creating something that's like the counter or the, um, the antidote, if you will, sure. to, to that. And so uh, if we're reading a book and it has a, a very singular narrative, we're always asking ourselves like, okay, well, whose voice is missing from this? Mm -hmm. Who else was there? Who were the other stakeholders when this, you know, historical event was happening? What did those people um, feel like? And then we even think about the students that we're serving. Are the students reflected in the lesson? And if the answer is yes, then great. But if the answer is no, then how can we show them? But, you know, and honestly, I shouldn't even say that. They, they, you, they need both. So students, if the less, if they see themselves reflected in it, great, but then you almost need to flip it and like show them the same exact event, but what was it like for another group of people or mm -hmm. another stakeholder that was involved, you know, instead of always just sticking to that, um, that singular narrative. So mm -hmm. those are a lot of the questions that we ask ourselves. It's usually like, if it's historical, especially who else was there, what else was going on? How might they have felt? And why, and one of our favorite questions to ask is, why do you think those people or that narrative was left out, right? Mm -hmm. Why, why, you know, why wouldn't everybody's side get to be told? Mm -hmm. uh, and then that always brings out a lot of very, very interesting points. I'm sure it does. I'm, I'm also thinking about the question you asked about the book about Squanjo, where you said, you know, what is the implication of this? What is, this is, okay, these are the words that are being used, but what does that tell us? That's, that is not being directly stated. And sometimes we have to kind of, we, you know, it's easy to kind of glass over a book and we, we do it all the time, especially if we've read it a hundred times before. Um, mm -hmm. But we have to maybe take a real critical eye to those books and say, what is it that they're, they're implying in this statement? Or what could be, even maybe that wasn't not, you know, that's not literally where they're headed, but what could kids interpret this to mean as well? Right. Um, because yeah. they read into things that we, sometimes we, we miss they walk away with ideas sometimes that you're not sure where they came from, but they got them from somewhere. So we have to figure out where they're getting them from. Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of brings me to my next question, actually, which is this idea of impact over intent. And there's lots of variations of that. Um, how can understanding what impact over intent means help us be reflective without being defensive? <laughs> well, that and that's what it is. Really, that's an exercise in like, not being so fragile and not being so quick to, you know, jump to defend yourself if you've done something offensive. Um, Naomi, she, I won't get it exactly right, but she always gives like an example of like, if she were to walk into a room and like hurt someone, you know, even if it was an accident, like maybe you step on their foot or knock over something important to them, um, you're never going to say, oh my gosh, why are you so mad about that? Like, I didn't mean to do it. Like, why are you getting angry? No, you would say, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to do that. I'm, I will be more careful going forward. I'm going to make sure that, you know, like you, you would have a very different reaction to hurting someone if it was like a physical hurt or, you know, something like that. But for some reason, as soon as it's like, uh, you know, 
harmful like words or thoughts that are being put into action, people lose the ability to understand that that's, that is a very similar thing. Mm-hmm. And so saying like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that my words had that impact. I, I, going forward, I will be more careful. Um, I'll be reflective instead of, well, why did you take it that way? I mean, mm-hmm. I, you're just being sensitive, you're, you know, and they jump to defend themselves instead of thinking like, no, if I just hit you with my car, I would be so like apologizing profusely and saying, I'll be more careful next time. It's the same thing, you know, intent is the, is, is the exact same thing, even if it's just words. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. I actually recently had an experience like that where, where I said, you know, that's actually a really offensive thing to say. Mm-hmm. And the person said, well, I guess I'll just go call into a cave. And I was like, well, no one said to, to go crawl into a cave. And this is, this was actually really hurtful. And I think you yeah. should know, so you don't continue to do that. You know, I would have thought you would have liked to have known, but that's not always the case. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of resources already about that you had that you had personally reevaluated or evaluated, and I was wondering if you could give us some more examples of resources that we should reconsider. So they could be things that you've seen online or in classrooms, or a resource that you've you've evaluated yourself or used. Yeah, I mean, really, you can go through the school year. You can start in September and ask yourselves why are you spending so much time teaching Johnny Appleseed. Not that there's something innately wrong with Johnny Appleseed, but when you mm-hmm. think about the fact that kids learn about Johnny in kindergarten and first and second grade sometimes, like mm-hmm. why, right? Then we can go to November and we can reevaluate Thanksgiving for sure. Then we can go to December and you know think about what you're doing uh, as mm-hmm. far as like including holidays uh, or, you know, assuming that everybody celebrates a certain holiday when you might have students that don't celebrate that holiday or, um, you know, just bringing those sorts of themes into the classroom without considering the fact that, you know, we live in a very diverse country. Um, Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't appear to be diverse, you never really know. Um, and so you, it's just, you know, being mindful about that. So you can reevaluate that you can, re- I mean, you can literally go through all of the, th- the president's day, right? All we want to do for president's day is say how great they were and how, you know, yes, George Washington was the first president of the United States and did a lot of great things, but he also owned over 300 black people. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with saying that? Like, why, why is the duality of that so bad and then people want to call you negative for pointing out something he did (laughs) right it did did happen right it happened i didn't do it he did it what are you mad at me for (laughs) but you want to hush up and sweep under you know the rug all of the bad things i mean no one was perfect dr king wasn't perfect you know Mm -hmm. like so naomi and i even careful with him because that's the thing you we've got to get away from um, James Lowen, uh, author of um, Lies My Teacher Told Me, mm-hmm. he calls it heroification. Mm-hmm. And like, you've got to get out of that, like heroes over everything. Nothing bad ever happened. Like, no, if we give our students a more realistic picture, a more human um, picture of these you know, people that we are celebrating and we show them that they weren't perfect, they had flaws, that's going to give them real people to look up to. Right. There's nothing wrong with saying like, okay, cool. Thanks, George, for being the first president of the United States. But Mm -hmm. like, bro, you shouldn't have been owning people. That was not cool. Right. Right. And so, you know, um, I just think literally anything that we teach and we have taught for years can just be um, reconsidered or reimagined. um, And it's just necessary. 
It is. Yeah, it just reflecting the complex complexity of history and humanity is something we have to think about because so many of the resources are so trite and um, they're then insanely upbeat <laughs> considering some of the information that could be presented. So yeah, it's okay to represent like the full truth to the degree that children of that age can understand it. They can understand, you know, a yeah. lot more than we give them credit for. And we, we don't just have to resort to just the positive highlights of, of history. There's a lot more going on there. Yeah. So as an instructional coach, and I'm sure as a coach, you, you experience this, sometimes it's, it's difficult to help a teacher walk through that evaluation of their resources. Um, so what ideas do you have or recommendations do you have that a coach could use to introduce the idea of evaluating our resources through an anti-racist, culturally responsive lens? Um, for example, like if a teacher loves using Indian in the cupboard or something along those lines and they use it year after year after year, what can we do to initiate that conversation and help the teacher reflect on that? Mm -hmm. um, so Naomi and I started designing resources for staffs. And I'm not saying like, go get that, but I'm saying like <laughs> the concept, right? Mm -hmm. You can, it, it's easy to adopt the concept. So what we did is we, we put together um, like a PowerPoint presentation and it literally walks you through like a PD. And we did our first one for Thanksgiving. And so it was like, you know, the first slide was like, welcome to, you know, the PD, here's a, a note guide. We're going to go through a couple of things together. The next slide was like a link to a YouTube video where indigenous people were explaining how they felt about Thanksgiving. And then it was like, oh, I'm sorry, before we even did that, we asked them to write down their histor their understanding of the historical okay. event, right? Mm -hmm. So like as a staff, as adults, as a united front, they sat and unpacked like, well, I was taught this, this, this and this. And so they had a, a table conversation. Mm -hmm. Then they got to watch the video of indigenous people sharing how they feel about it, sharing their history, et cetera, et cetera. And then again, there was another processing time, like as, as a team, wow, I didn't know that. I was always taught this. I always understood it to be this way. And so, and I guess what I'm saying is, after a PLC or a team meeting like that, the entire staff can walk away being made better and no one would feel attacked. I mean, and which side note, it's annoying that you even have to worry about that because it's such a privilege to even sit around and be offended by something like that when people are out here dying for less, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many things. So, but like the fact that like you can sit and get upset because someone asked you to evaluate racist implications of your lesson, just please understand that that's a privilege, but that's just a small caveat. Um, so <laughs> fine. If we have to, if we have to like so carefully and gingerly like walk people through this, then doing it as a staff might make it way less, um, accusatory or like, you know, you're not going to walk away feeling like, oh my gosh, she just said that my lesson was racist. No, I didn't say your lesson was racist. We said you need to like rethink some of the, the questions in the books that you're reading. Mm -hmm. it, it just creates a safe space. So I guess what I'm saying through all of that is doing it as a staff. What, how, like you, literally nothing could be bad about that because not only is everybody going to be able to arrive at a common understanding, but then you're a united front as a school. So instead of one teacher going rogue and teaching the truth about Thanksgiving and those parents being like, well, why are you right. doing that when my, the, the, this other teacher's not doing that, you know? And so then that one teacher is feeling alienated because they're trying to do the right thing when no one else is, um, you know, just arriving at that sort of work as a staff, I think is going to win every time and be more effective. Um, 
for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That is actually a very effective way. I mean, really to do anything, but especially this kind of work where people need to challenge their thinking. And I think the processing time is important and the own voices that you're including, you're including these voices of indigenous people in this example, um, that they can actually say, this is our perspective that you may not be familiar with because you, you cannot have this perspective. You, didn't, you don't live it. So I think that's a really great process and, and it could be applied to so many different things. Um, and that, I think that's actually really helpful. And I think more impactful in the long run, because sometimes a teacher will say, okay, fine, then I won't use this book, but they don't really get why, right. but, you know, they don't understand the process there. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. So what are some really good sources for new resources and literature that we can use to replace some of these resources? And you gave actually, um, a good example of how you can use a resource, but you bring it up to kids, you make them aware of it, you have dialogue about it. But if we feel like something's really harmful or inappropriate, what could we use to replace it? Or where could we find things? Uh, Teachingtolerance.org for oh, sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. They've got a wealth of the Zen project. I mean, there's, there's so many. Um, or, you know, like you can kind of do what we do, which is we, if you, and a lot of people don't have time to do it, but we just tend to research things that we feel mm -hmm. like are, you know, and you'll know because it'll just rub you wrong. Sort of like how I read that book with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I, I didn't, I couldn't quite put my finger on it at first. Mm -hmm. And then I sat on it for a little bit and I'm like, no, this is the problem with that. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of like, you know, create your own. Like there doesn't take much these days to throw a PowerPoint together, throw an image in there, mm -hmm. a little bit of text, uh, make it very quick, you know, just something to spark conversation. Um, so I think any of those resources or kind of creating your own is always a great place to start. Yeah, that's great. Um, I do want to give you a minute to talk about um, your book that you wrote with Naomi O'Brien. You mentioned uh, Naomi and she was actually on this podcast back on episode 40. Um, mm -hmm. Really great conversation with her. So you mm -hmm. wrote a book called Unpack Your, uh, Unpack Your Impact. I'm sorry, I have problems with my ending. <laughs> unpack your impact and I would love to hear you you know just talk about what's in there you know what motivated you to write it and what people would walk away with if they read it yeah um unpack your impact is basically um I wanted to call it like our like story or <laughs> journey um like two teachers who sat down one day after the 2016 elections and that was the first time like politics had affected my everyday life um and probably not just me a lot of people like and that election just changed so much. Uh, kids were coming to school sayings uh, that were straight out of like news headlines, mm -hmm. uh, like politically charged things and like yelling things at each other, and writing things on bathroom wall. It was bad. Um, I live in Indianapolis, by the way, and that stuff was happening here. Naomi was in Denver, same thing. Like kids were coming to school crying. They thought they were going to be like deported and kicked out. You know, like it was, it was just bad. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, like, I heard something about, you know, it, you just didn't realize how you could live your life and never think about politics or the president or what was going on. Like you could just bop along and like, if you didn't want to, you didn't have to. And after that election, there wasn't a single day I felt like where I didn't hear something or read something or see something on social media and it had to do with politics or the president. And so that really started a conversation with Naomi and I about social studies and it just made us sort of think like it, all these questions started coming up like what happened to social studies where are like what historical narratives are we teaching 
Um, why is there no respect for different races and cultures? Why, you know, and like the more we thought about it, it's like nobody, nobody's really teaching social studies anymore, especially not in the primary grades. And if they are, it's the stuff we talked about. It's the Johnny Appleseed stuff. It's, you know, pil pilgrims and Indian stuff. And it really just sort of dawned on us that in, in primary, like social studies was just not it. And so, um, we just decided to start, you know, working together and putting out some, some resources and lessons. And before you knew it, we just had this huge body of work and we decided to put that into a book to share the journey of how um, we like got rid of problematic lessons and tried to build a culture centered curriculum where we looked at our students from year to year and we picked read alouds based on who we saw or who we didn't see. And, um, you know, just every decision we make go, kind of goes through that, that lens. So that book is really just the journey. And the goal of that book, um, we hear from teachers all the time that are like, I teach music and I love that book. I teach gym and I love that book. And it, you know, it is written by two primary educators, but really when you read that book, um, the feedback we've received over and over is that it really is a mindset shift. Um, and you really just sort of change the way that you think or the way that you approach a lesson or a book or um, something you've done for years and years and years, that book usually um, challenges that. And it just sort of like opens up a new way of thinking um, after you read it. So uh, that's the feedback we've gotten. And uh, it's it's been a joy to release that book into the world and and, and, you know, get the feedback back from that, so. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so it creates an awareness in what you're doing every day and in, in what are we putting out there. It's easy to put things out there without thinking about the impact. But, um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful, um, I'm trying to think of the word, a beautiful, like a calling, you know, to have helped people really be thoughtful about what ideas we're putting out in kids' heads, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So if coaches only walk away with one idea from this episode, what would you like it to be? Um, I think out of everything we talked about from a coaching perspective, um, approaching this work collectively versus individually, that conversation that we had, um, if I were a coach, I feel like I would have written that down in my notes, you know, like, okay, yeah, if we're going to try to make moves to just be better and more culturally aware, how can we get admin to spearhead that and, you know, support it so that it is um, a, a building wide movement and no one, because the work is so sensitive, the work is so sensitive and people can get so offended. And like you said, the woman was like, oh, I was going to crawl into a cave. Like, can you imagine? Um, and then teachers, the work that we do is so deeply personal. We can't even handle an admin coming in just to watch a, a math lesson, you know? And it's like, well, what do you mean? What did you write down? What, oh, I didn't do this. You know, like we're already sensitive about that like math so imagine <laughs> imagine how much more like if it were like a culture well are you saying I'm racist like I can hear it already right. and so as a coach I think I would say you know walk away with the um with the the idea of you know approaching some of this as a as a staff um building wide and then you're also going to see the biggest wave of impact um as a collective so um mm -hmm. that's what I would say I think that's really great advice. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's going to change your school and not just one classroom. Right. So how can people find you online to learn more? Um, so I pretty much live on Instagram. Yeah. 
I'm on the other platforms, but I hate them. Um, so I'm apron, <laughs> I'm apron underscore education on Instagram. And then my website is where a lot of my work lives, which is just mm-hmm. lanishatab.com. Um, lots of fun things there. And, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm in those two places. Perfect. And then where can they find your book as well? Uh, same. So, well, but the book's available on like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, that sort of thing, but also mm-hmm. um, it's linked on my website as well. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today and having this conversation to help us challenge ourselves and challenge others. Thank you. Well, that was a big conversation, right? (laughs) And, and, and it's true. It can be challenging and we all kind of have to listen to things that challenge our thinking and really say, if something's bothering us, why is this hurting me? What part of myself do I feel like this is challenging? Um, we all are going through our own personal journey of understanding issues of anti-racism and cultural responsiveness and applying that work to our teaching is so important. Naomi, uh, excuse me, um, Lanisha talked about several of the reasons that she and Naomi wrote about this book and how important it was to help and make sure that our kids are getting good, solid social studies and social studies instruction. I personally know that social studies has taken a back seat in many of the classrooms that I've worked in and with because of state testing. And so in elementary school, because social studies in Texas is not tested until middle school, we often see a real deprioritization of social studies. And if that is your reality, that's really, it is tough. I totally understand how hard it is to make everything work in a day. So sometimes it's about choosing those resources in other subject areas to make sure that we are at least exposing our children. And I'm not saying don't teach social studies, it's, it's essential. But you know we can make those decisions across our school day to make sure that we are providing kids with the awareness and the, the learning that they need to be respectful of people who are different and to embrace different cultures and to see themselves valued in American history and in, and in themselves. So. I think that there were just so many great ideas that were shared in this episode. And I hope that you walk away with something that's really gonna help you think through the resources that we use and support teachers in evaluating those resources to make sure that we are best serving our kids in this in this world that we live in. <laughs> so next week, I'm actually doing a coaching, coaching call with uh, Samantha Shields. We're talking about what to do when you're in a new role and we are turning, she's turning around some state level learning on her campus and she's trying to figure out how to support teachers in, in applying that learning, especially whenever teachers are really stressed out. This has been a difficult year to learn new stuff. We all are probably familiar with that. So episode 57 is all about that coaching call where I talk to Samantha, we figure out some things that she could apply in order to support the teachers in the application of that new um, and somewhat stressful (laughs) learning. So definitely tune into that episode. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.